Well, yeah, a few weeks ago, I, re- I recommended these uh, these shoes that I couldn't pronounce that I was pretty sure are slippers, but in the Amazon reviews, it says you can wear them around the neighborhood. Now, they're lined with genuine sheep fur, and I've been wearing them out and about, you know, to go drop the kids off. I think I even wore them to go see the uh, the doctor the other day, and I was a little worried he might look at them and think that my mental condition was fading if if he thought they were house shoes, but... You know, I think with a little bit of design, so they're a little less bulbous, these could just be general. I was looking at them. I'm wearing my other house shoes. Uh, they, they could be, you know, normal streetwear. Uh, but my, my whole point is, like, it's been 41 years and a handful of days, and I have just now, society has brought to my attention the idea of sheep fur-lined shoes. And I feel like, I feel like there's something wrong uh, that's been going on. Now... My my theory, I need to go to verify this, but you know those Ugg boots that everyone makes sense? Now, aren't those, like, lined with sheep fur or something? You know, I, I, I didn't prepare. I do not know what fur they are lined with, but I know, I would guess it's, like, synthetic. Is it not? Maybe, maybe really synthetic, putting, but, like, you know, but just the concept of this furry lined boot, right? Like, like one thing, you know, whatever, Ugg boots are trendy, but people would make fun of them. But if they are lined with something even remotely like the sheep furred stuff, like no wonder they're so they're so comfortable, right? Whereas like men's shoes, why, why don't we have that? We need mm-hmm. to just have, they just need to have shoes lined with sheep fur. Not all of them, because they, they do get really warm, which is nice when it's cold, but they're so comfortable. They're so nice. So and, I have a question unrelated mm-hmm. to this. I, I kind of want to want like you to self-reflect for a minute and be like do you think part of the discovery of these things as you know we as we discuss and get a little bit older is it's sort of like the transition to like full dad zone you know good topic brandon like where you um you know where it's like because what you're kind of like just generally saying you're like these are really functional they're really good you Uh even kind of like you still kind of have this idea that well maybe i don't look good in them they're not fashionable i'd be embarrassed but like you're you're being drawn in more to like this is just really feels good on my feet and i don't really care and then you know if you project this out like 30 years you're just wearing like white new balance right like sweatpants hiked up I've gone. Like, I've gone like, full Willie like, Nelson. Just you know, jeans, you just, t-shirt and some New Balance. But like, shoes. is that where we are? Like, so if we think about software, which we talk about, like the legacy, the life cycle of it. Like, are we like, are we kind of, are we both kind of on like the uh, kind of like can maybe going up the trough of disillusion a little bit? You know, we've mm-hmm, kind of like mm-hmm. inflated expectations as like your twenties and maybe your mid thirties, and then you come down and then you know, like we, I don't know, when you get kind of like into this forties and you got like a you're, you're a parent, you're just like fuck it. Like what makes me comfortable? I just don't even care anymore, right? Like yeah. I found this a lot when I bought my last car. I'm just like I just need a car. Like I just need something that doesn't break down. Yeah. And well, I wasn't into all this stuff. So so I think that's your UGG boot moment, maybe that. Well, before we get started, this uh, this episode as as the last one and so many more, thanks to their uh, excellent patronage, uh, is is brought to you by Datadog. You know, they have a good offer going on where if you just make one dashboard, uh, you sign up and you make a dashboard in their their excellent monitoring tool, uh, you can get they'll send you a nice fluffy T-shirt. So if you go to datadog.com slash software defined talk, you should go there now. You can sign up for one of those T-shirts. But we'll come back to them uh, a little later in the show to give uh, more detail about what's up with them. But thanks to them for helping out with this episode. Well, let me adjust my microphone here because I've got I've got I've got some things to say. So, uh, <laughs> uh, good to hear. 
I I would say I think about this question from one to two hundred times a day, right? As as I'm going about my life, uh, and you've already already cited several examples of it, right? Now, now one could pose this. Let's call it the uh, get off my lawn slash giving up uh, part of life, right? And and to characterize it, the giving up that you're doing is curating this. Um, multiple front engagement with with society right like you want to you want to look good you care what they are you want to sort of like engage with things and see what's going on in the community and be involved right and you're putting in this uh self-care effort uh to to make sure that you're 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 part of the world which which is fine uh and and then and then you know the other the other aspect could be uh you know i i just i don't have time for that shit Right. Like I don't I don't really I, I got these kids and other stuff going on and, you know, things like that. So now I need to reprioritize what I face on, which I, I think I think to your analogy is a good uh, a good sort of bimodal IT thing. Right. Like I think I think the whole uh, I mean, you know, to make a position, I don't know if I believe this, but I think all the DevOps people like totally fucked up their bimodal critique and ruined what would have been a very utilitarian, useful concept if uh, if that thought technology was allowed to evolve, which Gartner did evolve it into something useful. But like by that time, it was just like, you know, you can't say communism is useful. That just like never fucking floats, right? This, <laughs> like I was listening to a, a great podcast the other day and this lady uh, who was wonderful I'll have to put a link to it. It was in conversations with Tyler. She said she was a Marxist, and it was just like you can't do that. Marx saying you're a Marxist, done, right? Like it doesn't work. It's fucked, game, right? Game over. Yeah, like I'm sure there are fantastic, great concepts in there, but it's kind of like you just no, you can't. And you know, <laughs> similarly, uh, what was I talking about that put me on that path? Uh, oh, bimodal, right? Uh, yeah, there's a lot of great stuff in bimodal. Chief among them is like, um, yeah, people, you can't put everything in Jenkins like today, right? Like you have a massive portfolio of things that you have to manage and it all, you know, needs to work. <laughs> and so good luck with that, right? Like I'm, I'm not just going to throw you like the CICD book, Lean Enterprise and the DevOps Handbook like just into the bowels of the, you know, giant banking uh, IT department and fucking problem fixed, right? Like it's not going to work. It's going to be like five to 10 years and good luck with that. That is just like, anyways. So that's my rant about bimodal IT. Good, good job, DevOps people fucking us all over and uh, not really <laughs> offering a solution for doing things like, uh, you know, I don't know. But so I think, you know, to tie this all back, right, yeah. what, what I think you're saying, right, is that sort of, you know, kind of as I joked a little bit about, like, the progression to the dad zone and even bimodal IT and all this things. It's like there is a certain amount of pragmatism that comes with age, right? And I think that is somewhat unavoidable, right? Like, yeah. no matter, like, what the new thing is, you know, like, you know, once you've kind of – and this is what I've just noticed about being a father, right? It's sort of like, you know, having children, like, reflect back to you different times of your life – but now with a totally different perspective. And I think this applies to IT projects and software projects. Like when you, the first time you build any system, right? When you're usually, at least I think for most of us, that's probably like our early twenties. Like when you left college and like you did something, mm -hmm. you know, your first reaction is you remember it's like, wow, this is, this is all fucked up, right? You're like, this is crazy. 
And then, you know, you go through it a few times and you get on the other side and you're like, well, it is crazy, but there was, there is a reason. That doesn't mean we can't change. It just means that like there is some pragmatism about, hey, we can't just go out and suddenly switch from like this brand, from this old technology that's legacy and that people don't necessarily love to like the new thing overnight. It just like the world just doesn't yeah. support for that. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, it's just, again, it's not, it's just something more like, I guess I'm becoming more one with, and I think it's back to like, you know, these boots are fine and there's a reason there's fur in these boots and they're comfortable. Yeah. And, 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 and to kind of bounce, bounce you know? around with so. the metaphor and, and to demink and my rant a little bit, right? Like I think, I think what I would have wanted to see from the, uh, the DevOps people, or uh, it's kind of weird to call them that now, but whatever is, uh, that's a good start. Let's work on that. <laughs> Right. Like like there are there are a lot of good uh, practices and ways of thinking that you get from uh, all of that stuff that clearly uh, didn't that got dropped out of doing ITEL and ITSM and the way IT is running and all of that. Right. Like, uh, you know, companies like where I work and, and where you work, we make a lot of money by like fixing uh, the deficiencies of the way people not only what their IT is, but how they think about it and what they do. So there are good things to apply there. But uh, again, there is the challenge of just keeping your head above water and all the existing IT that you have and what to do with that and how to manage it. And to a large degree, I mean, I feel like a lot of a lot of uh, DevOps stuff has sort of unknowingly as they say, punted on that. I never really know what that means. Maybe, maybe since you have six screens of TV, you understand that metaphor. Uh, but like, you're never going to let me in your house again. I'm just going to make fun of everything I see in it. It's going to be terrible. Uh, but I think, I think that also gets to the dad zone of just like, there are all these things as, as, as the, when you're the kids that you worry about, uh, cause you have, you have time and, uh, you're interested in them, right? Like seeing movies and going to, uh, the fun, fun, fun fest and doing all these things. And I remember when I didn't, uh, have kids, uh, I was like hard pressed to fill my time with shit to do. Like you just had to come up with stuff. So you don't feel like uh, a total wasteoid, just like watching TV all the time. Um, so, you know, that, that's a challenge and it's totally legitimate to figure out how to, how to fill your time. But when you, um, when you have these kids and I'll speak for myself and I'm sure other people are like this, like, I think I just spend pretty much all of my time, uh, keeping my head from exploding. And, and then, and then the, the consequences of that, of thinking like, if I let my head explode, then metaphorically, uh, everyone's going to be covered in, you know, my head being exploded and that's messy. And then they're going to grow up to be terrible people. Right. And so like you have this, uh, it's kind of like managing legacy it. It's just like, uh, I've got these, these things external to me that I have to manage regardless of what I think or what's a good practice. And, uh, I don't know. Then you, you, you seek the little comforts like fur lined shoes. So nice. And, uh, and then also like, you sort of like I, I think I think there's another divide that comes up, which which uh, is the I would call it the North Austin, North Austin versus South Austin divide, right? And there are people in our situation uh, who live in South Austin, and they have chosen uh, to have like smaller houses that are more expensive in busier neighborhoods where they probably are really angry that people keep 
parking on the curb. They're probably like, why the fuck do they keep parking on the curb? And uh, but, you know, they've chosen to, like, be more engaged with stuff. And that's fine. That's the choice they make. Whereas, like, where we live, we have gigantic McMansions and, like, overachieving schools and stuff like that. And so we just have a different set of choices. And I don't know which one is right or wrong, but uh, it's just a matter of, like, how you uh, allocate the time you're spending and, and, and all of that, which I think amounts to, uh, you know, am I going to take a shower today? Should I uh, just let myself fall asleep with the kids? Should I wear these fur-lined shoes? Like, I, you know, I, I think I think one thing that I've let myself slide, and it's always like fashion and style, but it's just like, I'll I'll wear a t-shirt. I don't care, right? Like, I used to, like, think that was a silly thing to wear a t-shirt around, or like, I'll wear this branded thing I have from some dumbass conference, whatever. I just got to get these kids to school. And finally, I think I think it's like a, I was at the doctor the other day. I think it would uh, a lot of this stuff is uh, I was even joking with the doctor about it. It was like, that was like, uh, yeah, you know, and I should probably exercise more, right? Just thanks. it's just like we we were talking about i was talking about more uh like uh like if 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 i go see a therapist or something like that and i was trying to explain without sounding like an asshole because you know when when someone's trying to help you and if you're too combative about it you're like well you're being combative which proves the problem but i was trying to explain like the advice of getting more exercise Physical and mental health advice, and particularly like mental health advice, is always just like uh, not helpful. It's just like you should calm the fuck down. Like you can just go read like the Stoics or some mindfulness book, and you'll get the whole brunt of anything that like mental people will tell you. And it's just like I understand that I'm supposed to not be anxious about things and calm down and realize that I have less control and focus on what's in my control and. If I'm interested in a uh, uh, binary relationship with someone, I need to communicate openly with them and establish blah, blah, blah. And you're like, I also understand that all of my software should be in a robust CICD pipeline that would allow me to deploy patches on an hourly basis. And we're going to have a unified team of people who work together and blah, 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 blah. And it's just like we fucking all know the end goal. The problem is for as an individual or as a company, how do I get there? And, you know. I think uh, fur-lined shoes are part of the answer, Brandon. I think that's uh, that's uh, exactly the answer. Speaking of the comfort of fur-lined shoes and and uh, bimodal IT, there's a certain company that uh, is is helping us out this episode and sponsoring Datadog. You might have heard of them uh, at the beginning of this show. Now, now what they do is they have a, a SaaS-based system, as all good systems and monitoring systems should be. And they'll, they'll do your monitoring and log management. You can make dashboards. Multiple people log in to look at your, uh, your, your monitor of monitors, your mom stuff. And they, this covers like over 200 technologies they have, as always. Matt Ray's favorite chef. They'll monitor all the great public clouds, your Docker container things, all the usual sort of applications and uh, middleware and things you would want to uh, wrap monitoring over. And they'll do, you know, your end-to-end tracing. They've got visibility into what your applications are doing and the underlying infrastructure all tied together in one place. You know, you might remember they acquired a log company back in the fall. So they've been, you know, I I forget how many years they've been around, but they're always adding features to it. And uh, it's definitely a a good thing to check into, you know. What they're doing, just to incentivize you to check it out, if you just go to datadog.com slash software-defined-talk, 
You can set up a dashboard, just set up one dashboard, check out what they have. Maybe you can monitor your home internet device, some little server that you have running. You could, uh, you could monitor our website, just test something out to get a sense of how, how easy and fun it would be to use it and effective too. But they'll send you a t-shirt, which uh, I'm not wearing their t-shirt today, but it's a nice sort of lightish, darkish to be paradoxical. Uh, purple t-shirt is very soft. It's actually a bit longer than most shirts you get. So if you're, you know, a dad like I am and you're worried about uh, exposing too much of yourself when you got to pick something up, it usually has you covered. It's a good, comfortable shirt. You can sleep in it, not change shirt, wear it the next day. You can do like me and see how many days you can wear the same shirt without having to change it and uh, enjoying your fur-lined shoes and whatnot. But again, you go to datadog.com slash software-defined-talk. All you need to do is set up one dashboard. You'll get a free shirt. You'll probably end up setting up more dashboards. And, you know, I think, as we always talk about, there's a whole lot of uh, new technology. You might remember from the people who want to throw books into the big gaping maw of existing IT. But there are new things that you need to monitor and keep track of and it seems like it'd be kind of silly to use old, you know, creaky on-premise tools that probably Brandon and I worked on. So you're welcome for that if you're still using those tools. But you want to get one that's uh, easier to set up, that's uh, run from the public cloud, a software-as-a-service thing. And and I would wager that you could start to transition monitoring a lot of your existing things over to the uh, the new platform as well. But, you know, it's, it's a good thing to look at if you're looking to renew how you want to uh, monitor and start to manage things. So go check them out over there at Datadog. Just look, uh, and if you go to datadog.com slash software-defined-talk, Make one dashboard, get a T-shirt. You should sign up for that now. Just just do it uh, right away because we'll get excited. It'll be fun to hear that people are getting their shirts. So uh, thanks to them for sponsoring. Now, I was thinking uh, for for lack of, uh, of of a lot of tech news, uh, we should talk about like something we we started discussing last week. Which I, I've been thinking about this more, but just the topic of like tech ethics because I think that's probably. Like the, uh, you know, in our little neck of the world, the, the story is pretty much the same. It's like, uh, so Kubernetes and, uh, and, and, and the broader cloud native thing. And then also like, so is it going to be public cloud or private cloud? That's basically all from a very high level what matters in the infrastructure, uh, software space, I think. But I think in the broader world, it seems like what everyone like uh, is consumed about is sort of like what, what's the responsibility and the ethics of tech companies for things. And as we talked about last week and in our uh, bonus exegesis podcast, a lot of it has to do with basically like check out these jerk holes at Uber and also uh, Facebook. Is, are they killing civilization? And there's little people who come and go. Um, but I think one thing that's uh, that's topical that would be good to talk about is uh, we'll see if we get through all these things. But the the idea of Amazon selecting a headquarters city, and I think there's a lot of a lot of um, tech ethics involved in there, much of which I know nothing about. I have a friend who was a, who's an urban planner, if that credentializes me at all. Um, but in reading through a bunch of coverage of it, I think th- I think there's there's a big there's a good opportunity to explore what would be tech ethics uh, in that. And I don't know, just to lay it out. I mean, you know, obviously Amazon's trying to figure out where to put a new headquarters. And I, I didn't actually read through in detail the actual PDF they sent. I just read a bunch of people <laughs> writing about it. But, you know, it's something like, ah, we're going to bring 50,000 jobs and some odd awesome billions of dollars to some city. And so uh, you should give us tax breaks. Or, or or whatever it is, and then I think 
I think so. One side of the argument is basically like they're going to bring a lot of jobs and a lot of money, so it'll help us uh, grow our our local economy. And then the anti side, I, I would categorize as as two things. Uh, one is like, why are we giving them big tax breaks? Right? Like, uh, we're going to give them all these tax breaks, and then that actually starves uh, the government money that we could use. To, you know, think of the kids. And then, and then uh, the other part of that is uh, sort of, um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'll categorize it in in a as if I'm drastically opposed to it in a shitty way. But it's like we don't want that much growth. Uh, and so, his, you know, you'll compare it to Seattle, and people will be like, the traffic's terrible, the real estate prices are going up, it's hard to afford living in the city. And then there's things like. In one of the write-ups, there was something, I forget when this was, some time ago, that there was a pizza manufacturing uh, plant in some Midwestern city, and the uh, artfully titled pizza sludge uh, was clogging the sewage system, so they had to spend half a million dollars to fix it. So you do have infrastructure problems uh, that, that, that you have to work on. And, you know, so there's, like, uh, arguments on both sides, I guess. And so... So there, there's my summary of it, and we'll we'll let you wheedle the way back to another uh, monologue by me. But like, what you know, what do you think? What do you think Amazon's responsibilities are here when when they're doing this? What should they be looking out for, and and not not just looking out for in a pragmatic way, but like generally, what should they be worried about and trying to solve for? In your view, Brandon? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good question. I mean, I guess I'll come back to you. I mean, we know Amazon's going to start with you know, profitability and making the most money for its shareholders, right? I think that's mm-hmm. going to always be the first thing on their mind. I guess the second thing, though, is, you know, with an opportunity to take a whole bunch of employment somewhere else, I think you want to be thinking about, you know, where can you partner with a community that, you know, is willing, I guess, to, to kind of work with you? Because I think this is kind of the thing that living here in Austin, right, is that, you know, we don't have good public transportation and every time it comes up, it's very expensive. And, you know, there's always this like, well, you know, um, you know, wh- who's going to use it? How are we going to pay for all of this? Now, you know, one way to do that, though, would be to say, hey, like Austin, just as an example, right? I think this would apply to Nashville and um, a few other cities on there. You know, the way to kind of get a public transportation system and really fund it would be along the lines of, hey, we need to bring big employers here. We need to increase density. And that density is what's going to allow us to pay for a public transportation system and ultimately reduce our own congestion. So, but I think this always comes back to like, what is the end goal for both, right? Like um, in the case, so you could say, right, you know, like uh, I think Nashville and Austin being cities without giant public transportation, that could be an end goal. It's like, hey, we want to build this we need to increase density, we need taxes. So does everyone agree, right? Is that the end goal? Or as, you know, most of the time, you know, there's always like a sense of like nimbyism, right? Not in my backyard on like a, on a very much a, a global or corporate level where we, many, many people who live in any type of city, right? Just, you know, don't want it to change. We want it to be the same. Uh, we like it. We don't want more people moving here. And I think that's the kind of, you know, decision I think Amazon has to go down, right? It's like when you're looking to relocate a city, is there like kind of a willing partner on the other side of it? And then, you know, then it becomes much more detailed around, okay, well, how are we going to get to the terms that make sense, right? And that's where like 
this idea of like tax breaks come in or like, you know, them providing some set of benefits, then bringing jobs. And I think a lot of times it's, it's often, I think just immediately or the, the easy argument, right. Is always that like, well, um, we don't want this new corporation to come in and get tax breaks. But then what's harder to understand is like, what's the impact of them coming in if like more taxes are going to be paid. And I think that's the part that um, is so hard to understand, right? That, you know, no one ever feels like they, they're getting a good deal. This is a very much equivalent to like a, a city building, like a sports stadium, which I think has now been debunked. It's like when you build a sports stadium, like you don't ever really get the mm. economic impact back. But I don't know if a similar uh, study has been done on like, if you bring in corporations and you incentivize them, uh, then, you know, you know, what do you get back? And I think, you know, a good example, you know, I guess it's somewhat close to home for you. Um, it's just, you know, we live here in, you know, Dell, right? Dell is, is actually not headquartered in Austin, right? It's actually headquartered in uh, a suburb, you know, slightly north of Austin, right? In Round Rock. And, you know, I think they got a lot of good incentives and then, you know, you know, people generally, it seems to have worked out okay, but there was a scenario. Can you imagine there being like a, like a Dell closer into town, right? That's, that could have maybe driven, you know, public transportation and more schools and more infrastructure, right? There is a scenario where um, that could have played out. So I think that's the whole thing. In the case of Dell, I think they found a willing partner, you know, Round Rock, right? And so where is Amazon going to find that willing partner? And then on the other side of that is like, are Amazon's demands too much? And that's always going to be the part that's going to be hard to understand, but the part that has to be like diligently looked at. And not just to take the knee-jerk reaction of like, Oh, the global capitalists are evil. It's like, well, I mean, that could be the case, but like, you know, you have to hear it all out. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think I think you started with the uh, with as with most things, uh, and I, I think we talked about this last week. The thing that always confounds me is like uh, any any contentious discussion should start with stating the desired end state. <laughs> like, like what what is it you're shooting for, and therefore. Uh, Sorry, I keep adjusting my microphone. I need to buy a new uh, a new stand. But you know, so what's the desired in state, and how is it that you're going to get there, and what tactics work and not? And uh, you know, the the, th- the thing that always confuses me about you know, and, and and I've lived in Austin all my life, and this shit comes up all the time, right? Like you know, how 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 fast do we want to grow and what kind of growth do we have and how do we want to incent it? Like we have a fucking formula one racetrack here, which I, I don't know what the hell is up with that. That's like the dumbest thing I think the city has done in a long time, but people seem to like it. And we get Taylor Swift giving you a conference. I mean, a a conference, that would be great. A concert. Yay. And I do see, uh, you know, often sitting in first class, people who, I often guess by the hats they're wearing, they might work for uh, Formula One race teams. So I don't know, whatever. Like, that's a thing. Um, and it was just like a gigantic piece of land that probably wasn't doing anything um, out there. Or it wasn't maximizing its tax base, probably, or, or anything. Whatever. So, uh, but it is sort of like, on the one hand, we're always complaining about how, like, you know, we need more jobs and people are... Uh, you know, whatever, like you, you need more jobs. And then, so someone comes in and they want to give you jobs and you're like, Whoa, hold on. Like it is, I I don't see much discussion of like in this debate of what, what the curve of growth should look like. Like, I think, I think if you were talking to some economists, there probably are probably competing, confusing ones, but some good theory about interest rates and inflation and how much growth you want to have. Like, 
I don't really know why. I mean, I think it's all reversion to mean, but like you don't want to have like 20% growth. Like that's like terrible for some reason, probably because like then inflation goes up too fast. And the next thing you know, you have like negative five growth. But I assume that the control of growth that all of the uh, global banking Illuminati conspiracy people do is somehow good, or maybe it's terrible. I don't know. Um, but like the question, the first question I would want to see is like, so is this amount of growth that we want good? And then therefore, like, what are we willing to pay for it? Like, should the the, the city like give give away like one to five billion dollars in in taxes for this to happen? And I and I think I mean you raise up Dell, which is a good point, right? Like, there was I don't know the full municipal history of this, but there was a time when Dell I think they were they were renegotiating uh, with Round Rock about the taxes they were going to play, and there is. Uh, there's there's a, a really fancy office building over on 360 called Los Altos, I think. And I think Dell officially uh, relocated their headquarters there so they would be in Austin. I don't know if that's actually Westlake, but it was uh, it was out of Round Rock so they could kind of like, you know, debate with Round Rock if the tax incentives were good enough. And I remember I raised this whole point just to give this anecdote. I remember older Dell people used to call it Los Alitos because that was where all the uh, the senior executives used to work. But it it is a good foil of like you know so so you could ask I mean it it would be handy if we actually like read NBER papers and uh, had done this kind of work ahead of time but like what is the total amount of we'll use the negative version giveaways you've given to Dell uh, in the metropolitan area and so would you like Dell not to be here <laughs> right like I think we can all agree that Dell being here in the Austin area has been fantastic. Right. And it has like we would want them to be here. Uh, similarly, like I forget, I, I don't remember the incentives because I wasn't born at the time uh, that like IBM was probably given back in the late 60s. I remember reading an old archived state Austin American statesman thing of when IBM was like, you know, had the golden shovel breaking ground there. But like we can probably all agree that it was Austin IBM was here. And, you know. Now we've got that fancy domain mall, which is the other end of of the uh, having a big headquarters move here. And so it's like it's hard for me to think of like that's the desired in state we have. Like every city would want 50,000 jobs and like all this stuff. And then I guess the debate comes down to like, so how much should we pay for that uh, as a city? And does that question even make sense? Like. I guess I guess obviously the city of Austin shouldn't say here's a check for fifty billion dollars thanks <laughs> right like that that would be stupid but like if you know like if you give them one billion dollars in tax breaks is is that bad um, or or two billion or or whatever and then and then and then next is sort of like well so yeah it is pretty shitty that you have this, as some people have described it, like race to the bottom of like, why are all these cities offering tax breaks? And, you know, that's just sort of like, well, that's the way it works. Like, right. like there's no, uh, I don't know. There's no way around that. That's like a bunch. I mean, that, that is like, that is the prisoner's dilemma and game theory and everything. And it's kind of proven that humans just fuck themselves. So mm -hmm. live with it. And then but another way yeah. you could you could also just look at it like, you know, almost like diversifying your holdings like anything mm -hmm. else. Right. So let's again, we'll take Austin just because we know about. But certainly Raleigh falls in this category where it's like, OK, 
So IBM has a very large campus here. You know, Dell has one just you know in Round Rock. Apple actually has you know a very a pretty sizable ca- campus here. Oracle um, kind of is actually building I don't, it, a pretty new big campus that'll actually be right downtown on the east side. And so what you kind of have to, what you're kind of doing there is like you're getting you know a variety of different types of technology companies in town, right? So just like you would invest in stocks, right? Your hope, right? And then at one point, Sun Microsystems, right? Had a big site here. Of course, that was bought by Oracle and now they'll be consolidating. But, you know, if you think about running a a city, you know, much like an investment portfolio, it's like you want to have a lot of different things that could grow that maybe are not dependent on each other. And so the things I left out, right, are like the University of Texas, which is, you know, kind of its own entity. And then, you know, the state, uh, our state capital, right? So you've got a lot of different, you know, two, at least two major industries, then the, then you add tech into it and then you diversify inside tech. And so what you're kind of just offering people, if you think of your city as a product, it's like, well, this is a good place to come work. If you want to work in tech, cause there's a lot of different tech companies. And we also have some other jobs for academics, uh, as well as, you know, people that are in administration. And then we've got the whole, you know, apparatus of the state government. And then of course we have just all the, the, traditional services, whether that be uh, lawyers, teachers, you know, that go along with, um, you know, just a large population. So, you know, kind of think about like, hey, we want to position this city as a city growing on, like that would be one way to think about it, Mm. right? And of course, like if we think about smaller towns who built themselves around, like maybe around Detroit, it's a good example, right? Where they just, everything was around the, the automotive industry. And when that went kind of uh, that grew or didn't grow, so actually went into decline, then the city really took a big hit. So I think that's the kind of thought process, you know, if, if you're running the city. And I think it's the kind of long-term thinking that basically no one is incentive to think about, right? Yeah. Like uh, the mayor, I think, is a four-year term here, six-year term? Can't remember what it is. But, you know, you're only going to be in it for a short period of time. So, you know, can anyone really do it? And then, of course, urban planning, right? This kind of goes back to that Dell question. Like, while it is great that Dell is here, it definitely created some sprawl. Maybe that's okay. But like, you know, going back in time, you know, there is a scenario where the larger central Texas community maybe would have benefited more by giving them more tax breaks to stay in Austin and putting a pretty big site downtown, right? Because maybe that creates more density and that creates more public transportation. Uh, Again, like what are the outcomes, right? Do you just want the employer in town or do you want to actually have this go hand in hand with an urban planning project, which it looks like Oracle, right? They're putting the thing downtown. So there's at least some de facto ur- urban planning happening. So, mm. you know, lots of stuff to think about there. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I've, we'll, see, we'll see if we go through this laundry list of things. So what, we'll, go, we'll go in the order, the reverse order. Like one, so I think, I think there is this argument of congestion and real estate prices. And uh, maybe this is part of my, uh, the fur line shoes stage of my life. But like having an office in downtown is stupid. Right. Like there in Austin, there is no reason to have an office in downtown. And in fact, um, for the reasons you pointed out, like there are most the I don't know, I would estimate at least 50 percent, if not more of the people you would want to hire would don't want to go downtown <laughs> like they, they want to uh, they want to drive out somewhere close to them. And in fact, Dell is another good example of that. I mean, 
obviously. Uh, Pivotal is owned by Dell Technologies, and so maybe I'm biased, so you can stop listening now. There, you know, The Weeds is a good podcast if you're, you're into that, or you might be into more like crazy ones. You can go check out No Agenda. Maybe it fits more of your conspiracy theory mind. So if I've insulted enough people to get rid of my bias, like <laughs> being located in Round Rock, Dell is actually the opposite traffic flow. So when I lived closer into town and I worked at Dell, it was awesome. I would drive up our highway, I-35, and just be speeding along, and I'd look to my left, and there were people just stalled out in traffic trying to get to downtown, right? And then you got to park downtown, and lunches are more expensive, and it's just like I would never want to work downtown. It's ridiculous, right? So in the Austin area, and I would put – I don't know how most other cities are, but DF Dallas would be totally like this, right? There is – you know, Dallas – anyways, I, I won't get into that, but – Ideally, if you were locating a big campus, you would do it along the edges of Austin. And nowadays, you would probably do it, I forget where like SolarWinds is, but you'd probably do it like in that kind of southeastern, no, the southwestern part of Austin where there's just a shit ton of land, brand new highways, and a lot of people who live a short driving distance to there. And I think technically it shorted a downtown for there so you could get that kind of cachet. Uh, or you would have it kind of in our part of town, the kind of north, just north uh, in, in the north area of Austin. And it would be fine. Like we got a, ch- a ton of land. You could easily build highways with probably like cheap easements that you would have to buy. The infrastructure is probably good. And it's just like a bunch of like, you know, cows and shit up here. Like there, there's not like a lot going on. But what about the cows? Yeah, what about oh, the cows? God. And fucking me and Paul will go eat them. Uh, but uh, so it's sort of like there's this illusion of downtown, which I think I think I don't know. I mean, I mean, if a company like Amazon generally wanted to be in downtown, that would be like the one bargaining chip I would use as a city is to be like, mm, maybe you shouldn't locate downtown. Right. Like, like it's actually not going to make a lot of sense. Uh, so I think, I think that solves for a lot of congestion issues, uh, that, that you might have. Um, cause I mean, let's, you know, a lot of the people that you're going to hire on Amazon are going to live in, uh, you know, the parts of town we live in our, our giant, uh, giant houses. They're going to go live over in, uh, you know, little California Steiner ranch there. And then in, in South Austin and probably up in Pflugerville and other places. And so you might as well build close to where they are, which, you know, I don't know why you'd want to build downtown. That's just dumb. Well, I think, but this is where I think if you look at it all independently if you say like as it exists today would you want fifty thousand people downtown or would you want to commute the answer is 100 percent no but this is where like kind of the long-term thinking so when i was growing up which seems like a long time ago but up there i was in actually England, right uh actually no in this case <laughs> washington dc as always not new uh, england <laughs> and uh, i lived in a suburb of washington dc and they were building the metro like mm. they built the metro. So like the metro didn't really exist, right? So like kind of this period. So it was this massive, you know, project. And I was pretty young. So it wasn't I don't even know when they started it. You know, for all I know, maybe when I was born or before I was born. But anyway, you know, it was it was kind of like this weird thing where it's like one day like it opened, right? Like the actual you know, the red line, that's the line that was close to my house. And so suddenly the city that really, you know, it's kind of I mean, it wasn't quite like this, but because obviously they roll it out in different stages. But, you know, there is kind of this moment of like, yeah, the only option is to drive downtown. And then they flip a switch. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. Like, oh, yep. we can all just take the metro. And that, I don't know. I, I'm sure it was like tens of billions of dollars then. And God knows what it is now. And, of course, they're having some problems um, getting keeping it up to date and stuff like that. So there are issues with that. And I'm sure New York has the same kind of thing. So, But my whole point is 
there was this decision at some point there. And now what you see in DC, right. And some of it is just the way the government is structured is like all the government buildings are very much condensed downtown or most of them, right. Lots of them. And so it is, but like people live in Virginia, Maryland, DC, they live like all over, but they, you know, you can get into town pretty quickly. And, you know, again, uh, however many hundreds of thousand people convene downtown and, you know, they do all the government stuff and then they're out of theirs. But that was some real, you know, real um, planning plus kind of a desire to bring this very large institution. There was some benefits, you know, having it all together. At least everyone worked together. So we can debate all of that, like whether it was good or not. But I think to your point, like if you did like an Amazon big campus downtown, right, you'd have to be doing the other part of that. It's like, hey, this is the investment for the next 30, 40 years because this is what jumpstarts totally. like a r- legitimate subway and not one that just has like three stops that nobody wants. But like yeah, yeah. there is a stop out here in the suburbs, north and south, so that it isn't such a pain for us to get into downtown when we need to go there. Yeah. No. And and, and maybe I'll try to close out on this so that we, we go to the or at least I, we go to the other like areas that I think are, are good to. I mean, as always, I don't know the answer, but I would like there to be a more structured analytical discussion. I probably should just not read Business Insider for my information, but like even Ars Technica's story, there was a good one in the Atlanta, the Atlantic that was sort of good. Uh, but so, so on that area, so one, another area I left out is like we built this gigantic big tollway out in another area that's just fucking cows, like on, on, on the, like not East Austin as in East Austin, but like East of Austin. And there's just like nothing out there. That's where we have the racetrack. So you could build a whole lot of things out there. I don't even know if that's Austin, but, but, uh, yeah, like I think, I think D, I, disclaiming that I don't know anything about all this stuff, but like DC is an interesting area because like, uh, you, it's an interesting way of thinking about a system because there's a constraint in the system, which is the federal government is not going to relocate, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> like it, it, like I remember, and, and this kind of cemented in my mind when a while ago I went to go talk to the, uh, the forest service in the USDA and you go to downtown DC and the USDA, USDA building is like, it's kind of like when you go to like Paris or even London, and there are these buildings that are just a solid wall for like 10 blocks. They're just a massive building. And it's just like, yeah, I mean, so everyone's going to come work downtown because that is what we have. There is no option to be elsewhere. Now, I know that like the Pentagon's a little across the river and you've got Crystal City and you can actually like move things out and have, you know, support areas out there. But there's a pretty fixed uh, amount of people who are just going to always be going downtown. So it's sort of like it makes a lot of sense to like build a metro no matter how much it costs because that problem is always going to exist. Um, whereas like just to highlight the point, like if you look at Austin or Dallas and I'm sure other metropolitan areas, right, there's no reason. There's no systematic constraint that you have to be downtown. Like it's just a subjective choice. There's like nothing that makes it valuable at all and you can move anywhere so anyways so there's that thing of like i think a lot of because when you read about people's seattle complaints they're like downtown real estate prices are high and there's congestion and like i don't know why does it have to be downtown like don't do that like going back to uh, a lot of it stuff it's like here's how you solve it problems don't do dumb shit and actually don't do (laughs) it you should exercise more right um and so you know i think i think the 
So, and you raise another good point that I think is highlighting that, you know, would be good to analyze, which is, and in, in the case of Amazon, I think there's an interesting angle on it, which is, um, as with managing any portfolio in the long term, uh, I would assume an urban planner wants to hedge out the sources of money that they have. So you don't want to be a one company town so that when coal stops being a thing, your town is decimated because the coal factory is gone or, or because uh, Kodak goes out of business. So, and I don't know what the number is, but I'm guessing you want to have four to 10 different sources of money. Like even a quarter of your revenue coming from one source is dangerous. You probably want it to be more around like hedged out 10% and below for various uh, sorts of uh, asset classes that you have to be weird in my language. But so you wouldn't want to have only tech companies in Austin because then when the tech stuff goes down, like that's terrible. You don't want to have, as we found out in the 80s, only real estate. But and we don't have that. We've got a diverse set of businesses and income. Even we've got two state-driven uh, sources of income, which probably a little more stable in the university and in the state. So, as far as I know, Austin is hedged out pretty well with its mix. So then you add Amazon, and as I'm fond of saying, people will probably know. Everyone thinks of Amazon as a tech company, but it's actually a retail company. Now, never mind their cloud business. That's a little confusing to my point, but. Like basically, they are a retail company, and so as the retail industry goes, their their uh, not profits, but their um, benefits, their goodness will go right. So I don't. We had Whole Foods, and we've got like a big cardboard company here, as as I remember, what's it, Innerland or something. But we don't really have like a giant retail thing, and so it probably would be beneficial for your like uh, your your. Um, your revenue mix to add in a big retail thing, not to mention the one that's destroying and taking all the profits. So it seems like that kind of long-term resiliency by courting big companies to move in is is useful. And, and it, again, provides another framing of like, well, we don't want to have just all only tech companies because that might be bad. We don't want to have all retail companies because that would be fucking awful at the moment, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> like if, if we were the headquarters for like Sears, uh, Circuit City, Kohl's, like all the giant retailers, I don't know if Kohl's is good or bad, but that would be a huge risk that you would be taking for your community. Whereas if you, I don't know, I'm beating the dead horse here into glue, but like you want to hedge it out. So that would be an interesting piece of analysis for all the cities to think about, does this work out? And then therefore, uh, is it worth paying because we have to pay because we don't know understand how the prisoner's dilemma works and we're humans and we screw each other over. We rat each other out and so we have a race to the bottom. So we have to accept that. So is it worth paying that amount and, and how do we court around that? And then I think I think then what boils off is the most unsolvable problem, which is like, oh, so the rich get richer and the poor get poor. <laughs> and And like – yeah, I I don't that that you know to sort of uh, throw my hands up. I'm 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 not really sure what to uh, what to do about that. I mean that that's almost a that that that's an issue one. Uh, so yeah, like Amazon should do something about that. Like if they want to become part of the community, if any big company wants to become part of the community, they need to address all of the uh, all of the sort of like social and non-capitalist things that ensure that there's a good thriving community and that people are doing well not just their own people but people as well right they have to be part of the community and like um, Amazon doesn't 
necessarily have a great track record of that. And I think that's the nominal point of this is like, I don't think many tech companies do. Like it's not really their, uh, they're not interested in preserving the status quo so much as changing things and advancing them. And, you know, I don't know. That's a very troubling aspect that, that hasn't been figured out. Uh, so yeah, maybe I'll just punt on that part, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I think, I think that like of all things that, that angle of, cause I guess when I, when I read about real estate prices going up, what that reads as is, well, if I don't make enough money, I used to like living here and now I'm being pushed out because I'm not wealthy enough. And what about that? And then even worse, you know, as always think about the kids, like what if it's sort of no fault of your own and you get pushed out and then what are you going to do? Right. Like, and, and we can't, we can't be sweeping all the people into dollar general land, uh, you know, just for the rest of their lives. Something has to be done about that. But again, and, and, and like any company can be involved in helping that, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what you do about that. That, that is, that is a problem, but I would hope that also part of the issue would be, I mean, it always amounts to like, you got this money and you need to spread it out more evenly. And, uh, I don't know, top line revenue is nice to have. And if, if you didn't do all this concentrating of moving downtown, like, and you spread it around more, I don't know, like maybe, maybe what Amazon or some company has to do is guarantee a certain amount of, uh, jobs that they're going to give to people that you don't need to be like, you know, super college educated. You don't need all the privileges of being already wealthy and, and you've got to move those jobs in. And then you get the New York times story about how working in their warehouses is terrible. Very troubling. So yeah, that angle has got to be figured out. Well, I do think it's worth, you know, just noting to kind of go a little meta on it. It's just how well Amazon is doing as far as kind of like managing this whole process. Cause you know, another, you know, another way to think about this is just like, there are lots of people that are creating jobs and businesses, but Amazon is, you know, maybe the most popular business in the world. I think it's, it's on the verge of being the most valuable company in the world. It certainly is probably the most, one of the most talked about companies in the world today. So by kind of almost like making this an open competition, right, I think they are assuring themselves of getting really, really good deals, but that doesn't preclude, uh, you know, uh, cities from pursuing kind of like, you know, just companies that either aren't as growing as fast or aren't as popular, right. As they, as other ones, mm. as this one is right now and going out and finding some other, you know, types of jobs. So, you know, it's, I don't blame Amazon by any means. I mean, certainly everyone's kind of sort of watching the horse race and they've created like a little game out of it. Um, but that's not, you know, like anything else, it's not zero sum. It's not like if Amazon doesn't move to your city that there are no other companies ever, yeah. right. You know, it's, it's like, what are all the companies that, people aren't talking about. And that would be kind of the flip side of uh, thinking about an investment portfolio. It's like, well, if you get Amazon to come, you're paying quite the premium, right? But if you take a, uh, maybe you give a few very small breaks to a company that's not as popular, that maybe doesn't have, isn't growing at the like 100% rate, um, but could, right? Maybe that's a, a different bet, a different kind of bet or a different kind of industry altogether. Yeah. So, um, you know, again, kudos to Amazon. You know, like they do a lot of things well. This this is an interesting process. We're all going to follow it, um, but it's not the only game in town. So you know, I, and 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 then we'll close out to recommendations. But like speaking speaking of desired in state, like uh, you know, maybe maybe one thing, maybe the virtuous thing that the uh, the economic divide people, uh, which I don't say that 
to say I'm not in it. I just don't really know what to do about it. But maybe maybe what you would want to see is like we would want to see Amazon say like, oh, we're going to pay full taxes because we understand that giving money to municipalities helps them do social services to pay for things. So we want to be a virtuous citizen by not taking well, it's by giving more money than we actually need to. We're not going to drive this decision based purely on profit, um, which, you know, good luck with that. Uh, <laughs> from from this little thing we call capitalism, maybe we should all go be Marxist. I'll have to go read up on that and see if that works out. Um, so, that, I mean, and, but that could be doing some sort of, if only from a cynical PR thing or generally doing it, like whenever some decision is finally made, it would be interesting to see if they say, well, this wasn't the best tax break, but really, let me tell you why we thought it was good to pay more in taxes or something. And maybe that helps win people over. You know, something Amazon's always very concerned with, winning people over. Uh, so the next, and the next thing might be like, they could also set up like training pipelines, right? So if the concern is that there are uh, people who can't make a lot of money, and the reason is because people won't hire them. Uh, one, you can address like diversity concerns of like, well, uh, you know, we'll try not to fuck that up, which I'm sure there's systematic approaches to it, but you could actually structure that and uh, work on that. But also it's sort of like, you know, to get hired, you need skills to do a job. Like that's sadly the way it is. And a lot of, you know, I don't think that it's easy to think that Amazon's just full of programmers, but being a retail outfit, there's a lot of like supply chain management people people who probably uh, figure out products to have in there, a lot of negotiators, a lot of salespeople. And there's also, you know, not to mention their cloud business. There's a lot of things that don't require you to be like some sort of mythical 10x programmer, right? Like I remember talking with one person uh, a while ago and his job was basically to do video content around products, which is kind of fascinating to think about. But then you think about the size of Amazon and how many categories of things there are and how many video studios that you could have or just people doing videos. And so that would be another thing is to say, like, uh, we're not just going to import 50,000 people from California, you know, which is what Austonians are always upset about, really hate Californians. Probably, you know, just anyways, I don't need to digress on that. But, you know, you could say we're going to draw a lot of people from the local thing because we're going to set up like six week to six month training programs to train people to be programmers, to do uh, supply chain management, to do those videos for retail stuff. And like we generally are trying to uh, not just import people with pre-existing skills and therefore growing the uh, the wealthy versus the uh, less wealthy gap, but we're trying to actually bring skills to people so that they can get involved in the new economy or whatever like that. And I don't know, that would be nice. Or like most companies, they would be like, fuck that, not my job, <laughs> right? Like, like it's not my job to ensure society is uh, running correctly. It's my job to make some money. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know what uh, – it's not It's not like Amazon has – But a, I think we should. I mean, there. you know, we'll leave it on, I think, maybe more – just an open, you know, hopeful note. It's like, you know, you watch Jeff Bezos lately. It's like, you know, he owns the Washington Post. I don't think – for someone of his wealth, the Washington Post is probably not the fastest way to make money. Um, <laughs> there uh -huh. are, you know, I think aspirations, you know, that he has towards science, you know, the rocket stuff. Um, and you know, so there are just open. I mean, a lot of this, right, it does. I mean, it's not like it all comes down to one person. But, you know, there are the motivations of the people at the top. And I think there are, you know, I'm not going to claim to know 
what all of his motivations are. Certainly some of them are building a great company. Um, but, you know, he is an advocate of, I think, long-term thinking. There was a recent article and, you know, the video making its way around about how, like, he doesn't really think about, he thinks about, like, uh, this past quarter's earnings was really decided three years ago and he's working on the three-year earnings. So, mm. um so there is kind of to your point, like, I mean, there's a place that you could really see aligned interests right around. Not only do I want to bring the employer, the company to town, but I do want to create a pipeline of employees that can work here because that's good for the community. And it's also really good for my company, right? Because it's going to give me this uh, a group of people who are educated that can do the things that I need them to do. So, so I don't know, like all these things, it's like, you know, time will tell, right? What, what he decides to do, but there's a good opportunity to do lots of stuff there. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. And, and I think to close that out, I think, I think that's, that's the broader point. We only talked about one thing on our list of like 10 items is, yeah, I, I can see that uh, it's time for us people in the tech world. And, and for the purposes of this statement, I'll throw in the companies. I don't consider tech companies like Amazon and Facebook and all that stuff. Like, yeah, now, now you're like a big person. You're, you're, uh, you're entering the dad phase of your life. And you've got to figure out how to, uh, ironically to what we we're talking about, how to how to get involved and like think about other people. And uh, instead of just worrying about your own head exploding, you got to worry about the consequences and get involved in, in things. And I think uh, I think there's certain companies that that have done that well. They're mostly the ones that are older, but uh, for the most part, like it's not a part of of tech thinking to think about like beyond like. Uh, awesomeness and optimization like what's my impact on things and how can how can i improve stuff so i don't know we'll see all right well i think as always we've uh, solved a lot of problems of things we know nothing about and speaking of solving problems that you have a foggy notion of you know you always need to get some situational awareness monitor it and uh, that brings up a sponsor for this episode why, why don't you just uh why don't you remind people who's sponsoring this episode brandon well, it's uh, our friends at Datadog, where you can uh, go set up a nice dashboard. And if you do so, and you go to www.datadog.com slash software define talk, fill out a form there, set up a dashboard and get a free t-shirt. And of course, you know, we know they monitor all the technologies that are you have in your systems, like our good friends, Matt Ray's uh, chef products. But if you're truly a cloud native uh, expert, you know, DevOps person, what you're really doing is you're uh, writing your own log file messages and you're instrumenting your application with your own custom metrics because really that's what you need to do to run these uh, at scale. So lucky for you, Datadog lets you do that. So I recommend getting beyond the dashboard and actually instrumenting your app with some custom metrics because then you'll actually see information that you care about the most. So you gotta, check you them gotta, out. You got to get that observability. I think that's what that's the kids right. are into, right? That, that's what the kids are into. And it's observability is more than just out-of-the-box metrics. So, so do the hard work, right? Do the real work. Put in custom metrics. Get your log file messages that are going to be relevant to you. Go to www.datadog.com slash software-define-talk. Sign up. Make a dashboard. Get a T-shirt. All will be right with the world. So, uh, you know, what do you recommend this week, Brandon? Well, you know, today, I believe, is the Oscar nominations. So sort of related to our topic here, I, I want to recommend uh, a movie that wasn't nominated for Best Picture, but uh, I think one of the actors was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. It was All the Money in the World. It's kind of this crazy story about uh, the Getty family and one of uh, the grandchildren of uh, of the 
the Getty fortune was kidnapped and then like, and it's based on a real life story. So then all this crazy stuff happens. And it's really interesting because it kind of gives you a window into, um, at least Getty's, Getty's mind and how he approached his wealth and, you know, kind of how this family dealt with this, all these issues and all, um, and even though they had all this money, it certainly wasn't easy. So uh, I thought it was a pretty good movie. I hadn't seen that many of the Oscar movies. So I was hoping this one would be nominated for Best Picture, but it wouldn't because then I'd have something I, I actually saw. So I would check that out. But I thought I'd also throw in maybe like a more serious book I, I read a while back called Dark Money, which is sort of a an inside look at you know, how politics and uh, all you know people with billions of dollars – you know, how they uh, potentially have effects on our uh, politics more than we may uh, actually think about. And the reason I wanted to connect these two is uh, something I learned from this book that I didn't quite know is, uh, you know, I, I, you know, when you're kind of born, right, like, you know, there's the Getty Museum and that's talked about in this, mu- uh, in this movie. And the reason there's like all this Getty art and everything was, you know, there was a really good tax breaks. Uh, for like billionaires back at that time, right? And so that's why it wasn't like there was a lot of interest in this. It was just a way to avoid taxes. And so what I learned in Dark Money is they actually go through and explain that like many of the foundations that like, I don't know, that we think about day to day as being very uh, charitable, like Carnegie Mellon and the Vanderbilts and, you know, just all these things, they all started, not all of them, I shouldn't say, but like a lot of them started as just like really sophisticated tax breaks. Like if you put all your money in this thing for 30 years and you don't have to pay taxes on it and it goes to your heirs. And I, I just never really quite understood that, that, you know, I guess I sort of somewhat naive. It was like, Oh, these people are just, they, they made all this money and you know, they just started all these charitable foundations. Like, uh, no, actually that's not really why they did it. They did <laughs> yeah. it to avoid taxes. But then now that many of them, have, you know, they're obviously their families live on and their heirs live on, but, um, what their legacy is all this charitable stuff. So you kind of know their names through that, but they don't, they were not necessarily very charitable during their lives. So I just thought it was fascinating. So it's sort of like, you know, kind of back to our, our topic here this week, you know, the role of uh, tech in the world here, uh, tech ec- ethics, but maybe there's just, you know, these are two kind of movies that kind of just talk on like wealth ex- mm. ethics. Like if you become really wealthy, like what do you do? And there's kind of two different looks uh, at what what some people did. Yeah, you know, I I, I remember that's Dark Money is one of those books that I uh, gave up on reading. I think it came out a couple years ago, and it is it is it is really interesting, especially like your your slant on it is a lot of. There's a big argument in the book of uh, a lot of the money getting dumped in is tax avoidance, basically, or and 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 also just getting around like driving your own uh, political motivations. I mean, I think it's largely about if I remember the Koch brothers and the Mercers. Who are like you know the Koch brothers just big uh, they they feel like uh, the there will be blood people for the uh, the twentieth century they just have pipelines and petroleum and oil stuff and like you know who knows you know, like who would have guessed they think most environmentalism and government regulation is bullshit big shocker right right um, but it it is it is a you know it's kind of like I often think every now and then I think about that book and it's just like man total editorial agenda you know bummer for uh, I forget her name but the author of that book cuz she she was kind of like writing she was almost like writing a story about yesterday's war like political war about how the the crazy libertarian billionaires are driving things and then and then in comes Trump and it's sort of like this book is not irrelevant but it's not as relevant as just like now the current topic is just like uh, 
I, I think as I heard Kara Swisher say in a podcast the other day, like, oh, I've just decided this country is completely insane. <laughs> <laughs> well, two thoughts on it. The thing um, – because I agree, like I, I went in, I didn't read the book for a long time because I was like, ah, I kind of know what it says. But like the second half of the book kind of gets beyond um, the Koch brothers, kind of gets into more mm. like where a lot of this starts and kind of how it works. And then the other thought, like, you know, again, more like just respecting, like you think about marketing as a spread of ideas, the idea of products, you know, like how do you, how do you see the market? How do you talk about markets? It's, it's like the amount of long-term thinking that some of these guys do to then um, affect our political outcomes is imp- I'm impressed by that. Like the fact that, yeah, like yeah. you know, you 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 like you fund the chairs at the universities that write the research that become the papers that get cited by the think tanks that then get um, shown to the senators and the congressmen that then the lobbyists. You're like, wow. Like when you unravel this, you're like, this is some really impressive. Um, apparatus right now yeah you know i think we would hope you know you wish a lot of the outcomes could be different you know i guess your political leanings will decide that for yourself but um it's an interesting look into like how you shape the minds uh how, how you shape ideas and how you promote ideas yeah no so. that's true it, it, it is a it's a fascinating look into like long-term strategy and practice that got results <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's a, yes. it's an interesting like study that. Well, my recommendation is uh, just a minor one. I don't I don't recommend podcasts very much, I guess. But uh, there's a new one out in the like the John Roderick world of podcasts called uh, Friendly Fire, and it's basically like I never really get into like you know as people know when I want to write this uh, culture what the fuck book one day. Like I don't really understand how to do that, but I I've been listening to this one. It's giving me an insight into like why people uh, care about stuff like this so much. Because so the premise of the podcast it's it's just you know movie related. Like they uh, it's it's uh, they they watch a movie and they talk about it. But but uh, you know it, the, all that they watch uh, classical war movies, and I'm guessing they'll probably be American war movies. Uh, and there's only two episodes out now, but it's just. Maybe it's because I was, you know, a boy living up in the 80s, watching watching all the Vietnam movies and other things I could get my hands on and pretending to play guns down in the creek and stuff. But it's fun and relaxing just to hear them talk about these old movies. And uh, it's um, they they the in episode two, they did this sub movie and I, I, I made myself somehow find the time despite my fur lined slipper rant earlier to watch the movie uh, which was a really good movie uh it it was it was kind of surprisingly good for being an ancient movie but it was fun to have watched the movie and then hear some commentary about it and uh is uh, now i'm looking forward to uh, i i watched the one they're going to talk about next and it's it's a it's a fun little cultural thing to uh to dip into there well before we wrap up uh i should have reminded everyone earlier but you know we still have t-shirts 25 dollars a piece they're good looking shirts they're nice and soft and comfortable, fluffy, as my daughter calls her sweatpants. Uh, and uh, they're not sweatshirts, but they have a fluffy feel to them. You should get some of those. Uh, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. And if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com, you can find a link directly to buy them. And as always, uh, we have uh, the newsletter that we do. I send that out every Friday. You can also go to softwaredefinedtalk.com to find it. And it'll it'll round up all the stuff that we've published um, like this podcast and the exegesis one. And if I have a register column or anything else I've written, 
uh, in there to, to link to, along with the sort of like curated links uh, that I think are important. And there'll probably be some links of stuff we've talked about here and also my Pivotal Conversations podcast and other things like that. So it's a good, uh, I think it's a good, I mean, obviously I think this, but it's a good newsletter to have in there, you know, with other ones like the the DevOps newsletter and stuff like that to get a, a, a digest of what's going on in the tech world. And then finally, if you fill out the contact form, and uh, send us your mailing address. Brandon will uh, once again go to the U.S. Post Office and mail you a sticker. There's nice little stickers, custom-made and die-cast and everything to fit really well on your laptop, or as I found out, on your iPad. They fit well on there, too. But you can get your software-defined sticker there. And uh, with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye.